What's up, everybody? My name is James York, and this is the B Podcast. The story behind the name B is that I'm a hip hop head, and Common's album B is my favorite album of all time. It is a timeless album about life and stepping into who you really are. That's what this podcast is all about to just be. Be you, be great, be the best version of yourself. Over the years, I've read hundreds of books and articles on self-help and becoming the very best version of myself. I've had over a thousand hours of therapy and coaching, and as I go through this personal journey of becoming my highest self, I want to invite you to join me. Together, we will learn and grow each day, mentally, physically, financially, spiritually, and emotionally, all while showing compassion and empathy to others, having some fun along the way. I'm no expert, but if I can learn something new and help you to grow, that's what I intend to do. Thank you for listening to the Beat Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. I want to welcome to the Beat Podcast professional coach and entrepreneur Alex Taylor. Alex is a certified emotional wellness and habit coach who uses evidence-based strategies backed by therapeutic science to support individuals in improving their emotional health and habits. She helps high-functioning professionals and creatives build emotional, sustainable lives that are aligned with their deepest values and rooted in energy-giving habits to serve them. Alex, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, James. No problem, no problem. I, I'm I'm really glad that you had the time, took the time out your busy schedule to to meet and come on the B podcast. I really appreciate it, and I think my community is going to get a lot out of this uh, this conversation here. Yeah, I'm excited. Whatever I can add value to, that's what yeah. I try to do. <laughs> <laughs> so, can you tell the B community a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I'm from the Midwest. Um, in my 30s, I now live in Los Angeles with my husband. Um, I started my career um, in pharmaceuticals, actually, out of college. And really early on, just felt like I was not emotionally engaged in the work and it didn't feel aligned with my values. Um, decided at that point to get into education, where I felt a lot of value in terms of that was something that was inspiring to me, wanting to, to, to support young people in open schools and communities where there weren't high quality options. And so I was in Chicago for about six years and I did a lot of fundraising, grant writing and operations work to open high quality schools, K through eight in Chicago. And then I moved to Los Angeles to do the same thing. And in that work is when I really got introduced into coaching. And so I really focused on helping leaders, principals, assistant principals and executives in their leadership. So communication skills, um, conflict resolution, things around sort of how to be a better manager and leader within school settings. And in that work, got really passionate about the coaching element of my work. Found that although I was adding value in terms of leadership coaching, I really felt like I was missing a layer. There was sort of this work that wasn't being addressed with professionals, right? A lot of people were burning out, really feeling exhausted, a lot of stress, anxiety at work that was showing up. People not coming into work consistently, sort of not treating each other well. So a lot of the behaviors and habits and sort of ways of being sort of as a human, we're showing up at work that wasn't being addressed. So you have all this PD, all these trainings around how to be a better leader and sort of all these tactical skills, right? But we weren't really addressing the people, the human. And so that got me really interested in sort of what it would take to support people as humans first so they can be really productive professionals, 
later. Mm. So your, you would say your role in education kind of prompted you to excel in your uh, coaching career, kind of propelled you in that avenue. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I did sort of a self-assessment. I try to do something at least once a year where I just sort of look back at, on the year and sort of reflect and decide what's working for me, what's not working for me, where am I finding the most energy in my work, what do I, what do I really enjoy, where are my strengths, what are the things I want to grow in, right? Mm-hmm. And I found that I was looking forward in terms of my week and my day, to, into the, I was looking forward to coaching, mm-hmm. looking forward to coaching leaders, and I found that to be something that was really energizing and something that I felt like I was adding like immense value, right? I was doing strategy work, data work, all types of other things in my sort of um, role at, as a superintendent at a school district, but mm-hmm. Um, I didn't find that I was really enjoying that work as much. And so I wanted to really sort of narrow down my focus and really hone in on what can I do really well? And what can I do the thing? What can I do that would really bring value to people immediately, sort of a direct impact and really have an opportunity to also grow as a person myself. So it was a good sort of challenge for myself, but also what I really enjoyed. So I try to focus on what's energy giving to myself and what do I do that can add value to other people. And so for me, coaching was that sort of secret sauce and that thing that clicked for me. Mm. So coaching, you would say coaching was your why. Like that's why, that's what kind of pushed you and got you up in the morning and motivated you at the job. And then you saw that why and was like, okay, I need to hone this skill and figure out how I can do this for a living. Exactly right. So I wasn't a trained coach. I sort of was a coach through experience, um, through shadowing and, and sort of observing others that had been coaches in their careers. And so sort of picked up on the skills, did some reading, some independent sort of learning, right? And then wanted to really, from an academic lens, go back to school and, and make sure I understood the fundamentals of coaching, making sure that I wasn't just sort of going to add a sort of a title to my, my resume, right, for the sake of it. I wanted to really understand what it took to be a good coach. And so I sort of studied what um, programs were available, academic programs, and took a lot of time to do like informational sessions and really study what was available out there and went back to school about three and a half years ago to get my license as a professional coach at the University of Texas. Nice, nice. That's a very good accomplishment right there. Thank you. So Alex, why should people get into um, coaching? Why should people pick a coach and you know start to examine that 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 sort of you know growth pattern with a coach yeah you know i think you know coaching isn't for everyone so in terms of like where your mental health is it depends on sort of the degree of the sort of symptoms or experiences that you're having so a coach is best suited for those that are struggling with sort of stress and anxiety like from like a mild to moderate standpoint so people that have relationship difficulties wanting to have sort of find clarification in their goals and in their life feeling stuck sort of directionless in their life right um, maybe feelings of prolonged sadness, but therapy is best suited for those that are struggling from like a moderate to more severe standpoint, right? So maybe it's manifesting physically through extreme or sort of persistent panic attacks or not sleeping, not eating, not really being engaged in the things that used to bring you joy. So it really first depends on sort of where you are, right? So coaching is best suited for those that are looking to achieve and, and sort of are more goal oriented. So they're pretty sort of emotionally balanced. Maybe they're struggling in some areas, but it's not too severe. Um, they want support around emotion management, stress management, and anxiety, right? And coaches have different sort of fortes and niches. Mine is stress, is stress, anxiety, and habits. That's sort of the things that bring me the most energy. I find a lot of value in helping people formulate habits and reverse sort of habits and also manage their sort of mindset around their thinking patterns. So 
if you are in that place where you're feeling stuck, you're feeling like, you know, I don't know what I want out of life anymore, or I'm not sure what I want to do with my, my time, my energy, my goals, right? Coaching is a good sort of option for you. If you're looking to discover what's getting in the way versus uncover what's getting in the way. So what I always say, if you're looking to sort of uncover your history, your past, therapy is probably a better um, path for you because you want to sort of understand how your history is showing up in your present. Well, coaching is best if you're looking to sort of discover what's sort of the barriers toward my sort of getting in the way of my goals. I have these goals around my health or my, my job or even the things that I want in terms of dating or it could be anything. What's getting in the way? I'm not sure just yet. And I would love someone to help me sort of thought partner and uncover and really expand my thinking and challenge my thinking to really help me figure out what that could be and how I can move forward. If I understand you correctly, so we're looking at coaching, we're looking at more of a, I'm stuck here in the present and I want to move forward and I don't know where to go. And therapy is, Mm -hmm. I'm stuck here, but I don't know what's been stopping me in the past from my past that I'm still holding on to in order that I can grow. So, I mean, both seem like they're, you know, edged for you to grow, but Coaching seems more future focused and therapy seems more like breaking the patterns from the past. Am I correct with that? That's exactly right. And especially if you've had trauma, right, or things that haven't been addressed that you sort of want to need to heal from, therapy is a better fit for you typically. Um, Where coaching is best suited if you feel sort of typically emotionally well, right? There might be some things that are showing up for you that you feel like are misaligned with who you are and sort of not a good representation Mm -hmm. of you, but there aren't some things that you're struggling with in terms of healing from versus things that you're trying to really just decide, how do I move forward? How do I get to the Mm -hmm. next step from A to B? So what's the difference between say a life coach and someone who's more based with emotional and, um, you know, habit structures like yourself? So a life coach is sort of like a, almost a generalist. So if you think about like a doctor, right? So they can kind of touch on a number of different domains in your life, typically. So it could be health, it could be career, it could be um, just how you're feeling day to day and how you want to progress in your day to day life. Whereas my focus is emotional wellness. So I have a focus on how do you, you as a person manage the things that show up for you, anger, sadness, sort of frustration, disappointment, right? How do you express those things in a productive manner, right? Because everyone feels those things. Often we think about life of like, we want summertime happiness <laughs> all the time, right? <laughs> and that means that we're successful. I'm always happy. That's, these are sort of the messages that we get in the sort of the self-help yeah. world, right? In social media and a lot of the sort of um, television media as well. But the reality is we have ebbs and flows, right? And there's utility and the other emotions that show up in our lives. Anxiety, there's utility for that. There's a purpose that we feel anxious, right? That's in terms of our evolution. It, it motivates us to, to move out the way or to do something different, right? We, there's a bear in front of us. We need to feel anxious, right? And we don't feel anything. Exactly. We're in trouble, right? <laughs> right? And so that fight or flight, there is purpose in it. And so I support my clients in sort of understanding what the emotions that they're feeling, what they mean, how to process them, and really how to manage them. Not to do away with them, not to replace them, not to judge them. But really, how do I live with these emotions? And how do I learn how to express them in ways that are not harmful mm. to me? So that's very interesting. I wanted to know, like, how you equip your clients to go out into the world to deal with these, like, these stressful instances. Say it's someone and, you know, they have a really verbally abusive boss and their relationship at home is suffering and it seems like everything is crumbling. Like, how would you, from a coaching standpoint, coach that person back to, to balance? 
Yeah. So, you know, each session is so different. It's not like a cookie cutter approach. So, so more generally, like what I can say is sort of the scenario that you share with me, what came up to me was boundaries, Mm. right? And so boundaries, I do a lot of work around how do you set up a boundary? What is a boundary? Sometimes we think of boundaries as, okay, I'm going to tell people what I'm not going to do anymore, Mm. right? (laughs) Or I'm going to tell people what I'm not going to tolerate. And that's an element of it, but that's the easy part, right? It's easy to share a boundary, but really the work around boundaries is enforcing it, right? Sometimes you think about boundaries and say, you know, I'm going to share this thing and walk away. And it's their <laughs> job to uphold yeah. my boundaries. Right? <laughs> and I can, the, the rest is up to them. But wait a minute, right? So the boundary work is really up to you. It's the enforcing and it's the consequences that you are either to, are able to enforce or to uphold yourself when someone steps on your boundary. Mm-hmm. So in the instance of someone yelling at you or being really aggressive towards you at work, is that a boundary for you? Is that something that you're willing to accept and tolerate? Yeah. Yes or no? And if not, what does that mean for you? If someone's unwilling to respect your boundary, right? There has to be something that you might be willing to do. That might, And that's going to yeah. be uncomfortable. That's the hard part yeah. about boundaries, right? It usually comes with someone being upset with that. No one really wants to uphold anyone's yeah. boundary, right? That's not typical of relationships, um, especially work yeah. relationships. But there, are, there comes a time when we have to really put our sort of foot down and say, you know, this is not something I'm willing mm. to tolerate. And I'm willing to to walk away or to express this in a respectful manner and sort of right? You might not be happy with that. But if I don't uphold my exactly. boundaries, who will? Right. And that's how we sort of end up in these sort of situations that we're being stepped on, our values are not being upheld, and we're really feeling like a victim and really stressed to the max because the things that are happening to us feel like they're mm. out of our hands. Right. Yeah, I, I, I listened to a couple things when you said that. Um, a couple things came to mind, I should say. And control, mm-hmm. having those boundaries and being able to control what you can control. And I also thought about yeah. just like boundaries from mm-hmm. a country standpoint. Every country has their mm-hmm. own borders and their own boundaries. And mm-hmm. they don't just set those boundaries and walk away. Some countries have fences and gates. Some have border patrol agents and they enforce those boundaries. And you can't just come and go yeah. within the country as you please. And I think that, you know, for me and my journey, learning about boundaries, I'm kind of trying to employ that. Like you have to enforce them because people will overstep their boundaries. Once you try to set them in place, you have to continue to enforce them um, you know, with love, of course, but repeating that, mm-hmm. you know, it's doing that sort of repetition sometimes. Yeah. It's also sort of letting people know that, you know, this is something that I'm not comfortable mm-hmm. with. And if this is something, if this is something that's going to continue, then I'll have to make another decision. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Right. So yeah. on a scale to one to 10, how stressed out and out of sync do you think people are feeling right now on average that you're coaching? Yeah, you know, in the last at least six months, I think, especially with the second sort of variant or really third at this point, right? I think people um, felt a a level of relief after Delta, thankfully, but unfortunately with the new variant, I think a lot of folks became a a lot more anxious and a lot more nervous about their future. As you mentioned, this sort of fear of control and lack of control. That shows up a lot in my sessions. Um, a lot of people like to sort of live around these sort of beliefs that if I um, put in certain inputs, then certain outputs will sort of manifest, right? And 
when that doesn't show up sometimes, people can really feel like they don't have as much agency in their lives as they once had. And so when you have these external factors showing up in life, especially around health anxiety, it really revs up the system. There's a lot of sort of, sort of survival anxiety happening um, that I'm seeing um, persistently in my, in my private practice. People really struggling with, am I gonna be okay? Is my family gonna be okay? What does it mean to have to move if I have to move? What does it mean if I have to change jobs because my job now is not secure, right? Or I'm now at working from home and you know I value connection, I value community. This feels really isolating for me. So there's been so much change that people have had to undergo in the last couple of years and it's been really hard on our systems mentally. And so a lot of processing, reprocessing, relearning sort of new ways of living and sort of relating to each other and in terms of our relationships as well, I think a lot of things have come up in the pandemic, especially that people didn't sort of know oh, about yeah. each other, oh, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how people sort of navigate science, how they navigate, um, you know, restriction or just information generally, politics, of course, are, is very polarizing. And these are some things that a lot of things we didn't know about each other. These are conversations that didn't have to be had, yeah. right? But they're being had and they're uncomfortable, right? And so a lot of people are reassessing relationships in really substantial ways. And it's, again, really difficult for many of us to go through so much change so quickly. Aside from the pandemic, yeah. what would you say is the thing that's keeping people stuck in your, you know, your clients mm. and your, um, just in your coaching, what you're seeing? Yeah, great question. You know, I'm seeing a lot of perfectionism, right? Um, show up a lot of pressure that people put on themselves to do things the right way or the perfect way, right? And that can sort of stem from our upbringings in many cases where maybe there was a consequence where we didn't do things the right way or the perfect way, maybe from our teachers or our parents or other authorities in our lives, or we got rewarded, right? When we did things the perfect way. And so we've been sort of conditioned to, this is the only way that I am willing to operate. And if I sort of miss any marks in my life, if I don't get the promotion, if I don't get the compliment, if I don't get sort of the um, accolade in some way, people really struggle, right? And so I do a lot of work around how do we tolerate imperfection, yeah. <laughs> right, in our lives? How do we sort of become more okay with okay, right? And perfection is really arbitrary as well, right? Because what's perfect to you is different from what's perfect to me. And so we have these standards that are really hard to measure, but we start to try to live up to them. And that can be really dangerous for a lot of us. Because when we fall short of that, then we suffer. We call upon the fear of failure, right? And we, we carry that weight with us. And we take that really personally and we sort of internalize that, right? And so that can be really unhelpful because that's one way that people can be motivated in some cases, sort of being sort of crit critical of themselves, like, ah, I'm, I should be smarter. I could have done that better, right? That's one motivational style, but it's really harsh, right? That's a really hard way to live, right? And so we have to ask ourselves, is that something that is gonna be helpful to us in the long term? Just because that was sort of our reality as young people, maybe that sort of motivated us through fear as young people, but as adults, what is the real fear, right? Do you have someone that's gonna sort of hit your hand if you don't get it right, right? Sometimes we still operate in our sort of younger selves and not realizing that, you know, we have agency. We can define what's perfect and we can define what's okay. 
And if we're going to be able to live with that, is that going to be more helpful for us? And I think for many people, it is, right? Because <laughs> there's no winner in life. <laughs> right? People think like, I want to succeed. I want to do all these things, you know, sort of what is the prize that you're sort of operating to, to achieve in your life? What is the end goal here? And if the end goal is peace and the end goal is happiness, but I wonder how your behaviors and your sort of belief systems are supporting you yeah. to get there. Oh man, that's so deep. Right. It's so much to unpack right there. Just yeah. because like yeah. from my perspective, I've gone through so much of chasing the carrot on the stick, chasing yeah. success and thinking that was going to exact is never enough. And thinking that that's going to mm-hmm. satisfy me. And then you hit the next goal and thinking that's gonna satisfy you and this and the next. And I'm a Capricorn. And I'm also an INFJ, so I'm hard on myself by nature. And, you know, it's one of those things that I have to still constantly remind myself, like, I am enough and I'm where I'm supposed to be because that self-talk, that doubt that you talk about, that young self, it'll creep back in from time to time. And it'll tell you, like, no, you should be further. You should be a millionaire now. What are you doing? You know, and you have to kind of talk that that Mm -hmm. self down and, and say, hey, no, I'm exactly where I need to be. I'm at peace with myself. I'm healthy and start to use those tools. Um, like you mentioned, I use gratitude in those moments. Like I'm happy where I'm at. I got a roof over my head, you know, like um, I'm able to get up and go out and work out and run. And, you know, and, and a lot of people aren't. So just being grateful for the things that's there, I think. That's so good. And I, I heard you say like even challenging your thoughts, right? So that's a really important strategy because sometimes we think our thoughts are facts, yeah. right? Because we thought it, oh, it makes it real and something I need to sort of respond to. Oh no, like I, I'm thinking that I am a failure or that I made a mistake. Hey, wait a minute, let me let me challenge that a little bit, yeah. right? <laughs> that's something that we should be curious about. We should sort of be curious about our thoughts, curious about our emotions, and not rooting them in yeah. in fact. And I like to say that. These are our interpretations, sort of our, our thoughts are random. We have thoughts that are, are sort of controlled, sort of if you think about someone asked you a question, sort of like, what's your favorite color? You can think about that intentionally. Like, oh, my favorite color is red versus you're driving it in, you know, in your car and you just randomly think it's like your, your baby cousin. That was random. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> That's how thoughts are. They're sort of random, but they're also controlled at the same time. And so we need to sort of understand that more deeply. Some of my thoughts I can't control and they just show up. And I have to be curious about that and wonder, okay, where did that come from? Oh, there's no sort of truth to that. I don't need to sort of engage in that thought, right? We can choose to engage. We can choose to dwell, right? I like to politely decline the party. (laughs) Like, I'm good, I'm good. Thank you, thought, you're trying to help me. But actually, I'm I'm okay. I don't need to respond to what you're you're telling me right now. Yeah. we don't need to respond to everything. Someone thought. told me a while ago, well, I heard this, I think, on a podcast. They named their negative thoughts. Like, they put a name to it yeah. that's not associated. So mm-hmm. my negative thoughts are Jerry. So whenever that negative yeah. thought comes, like, go away, Jerry. I don't want to hear that right now. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no place for, for Jerry. <laughs> that's a good strategy, yeah. There's other strategies around, you know, even adding a voice to your thoughts saying your thought out loud so it sounds a little goofy like okay when you say it a couple times and like that sounds crazy like alex you're stupid alex you're you're stupid like am i really (laughs) right 
when you hear it out loud, you're like, oh, that's yeah. that's not true. Absolutely not. Yeah. And even the, the sort of strategy of saying, I'm having the thought that yeah. I'm a failure. Just putting that quick and short sort of first part, I'm having the thought that creates yeah. a little distance from the thought. Oh, I'm having that thought. That's interesting. Yeah. Right. Versus I'm stupid. And that's what I'm treating yeah. as fact. Right. So there's a difference in, in experiencing your thoughts. And I like to sort of think about it as like mm -hmm. observing them like a third party almost and sort of letting them drift like clouds, mm -hmm. like just sort of with what your mind is projecting. OK, just sort of letting it flow by. Right. <laughs> like a, a leaf on a stream it's just kind of coming in and I'm going to let it go out. <laughs> Another um, method that my therapist taught me is to address those thoughts like you would a best friend. So if your best friend was Absolutely. talking to you on the phone, they were like, I'm stupid, mm -hmm. I can't do anything right. You would be like, no, you not. You First of all, you're successful at your work. You have a degree in this. You are always the first to volunteer. People love going to you for advice. You would say that to your best friend, but we are not so quick to say that to ourselves. So mm -hmm. that's one thing that he kind of taught me about those um, those negative thoughts as well combating those that's a great one yeah. that's one of my favorite ones mm -hmm. sort of we should treat ourselves like we would treat our best friend or how our best friend would encourage us mm -hmm. right if we really love ourselves the way our friends love us yeah. wow that would be powerful it would be right and if we can treat ourselves like our best friend man i would talk to myself so differently seriously right? when i'm having a bad day or i'm doubting myself mm-hmm Right? Your best friend would say, yeah, you're right. You're a mess. You're <laughs> right? not a good best friend. Yeah, thanks. You want to keep that friend around, right? Right. right? right. So you're like, wait, this is not a, a good friend of mine. And so why do we keep that person around ourselves, right? Why do we allow ourselves to talk to ourselves that way? Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's, a, it's a good um, sort of awareness that can be sort of developed when we consider, man, I talk to myself like I don't even like me. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I love that strategy. Absolutely. So switching gears, how do you help a client approach a new goal? Mm, yeah. So I first like to start with sort of the, the why of the goal, right? So it's really important that people don't sort of decide, you know, I want to have this new habit. I want to go work out every day. I want to eat well or whatever the habit might be or goal. And just really arbitrarily because they think they should, right? So we really focus on what is the value of this to you, right? What is the benefit? What is motivating you to do this? Is it something external where you feel pressure? Hmm. Is it because someone else says it's important to them and you feel like, oh, if it's important to them, it should be important to me, right? So we get really clear about what is that for you? What is the, the added value to your life if you were to do this thing, yeah. right? And so that's a, that's a long conversation for a lot of people. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, I never thought about that. Yeah. <laughs> like, why do I need to change this thing? You know, even thinking about, oh, I want to stop drinking coffee. Oh, tell me why, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> I just don't, don't think it's good for me. Well, science doesn't really say that, right? Mm -hmm. So let's sort of probe there and make sure that you're really connected to this goal in a meaningful way and that feels authentic to you. Mm. Intentional. Right. Intentionality to intentional. it. That goes back to that conversation we had earlier about the why, like why you ended up mm -hmm. going into coaching, you know, because yes. it was something that motivated you, something you had passion about. Yes, yes. That's the first part, right? And then we talk about, you know, what's the cost, typically? What's the cost of this not happening for you? Yeah. 
Would there be something that you would lose out on? Would this do harm to you if it's not something that you put in place? Mm-hmm. Let's get really clear of like how you are motivated around this. What is the purpose of this in your life again, right? And then I like to sort of lead into self-acceptance and self-knowledge. Often people think about habits, they think about willfulness. I need to be sort of strong-minded. I need to force myself to do this. If I don't do this, I'm weak, right? And, and really it's, it's more about what do you know about yourself already? What works for you? How do we make this less of a decision? That's what a habit is. It's a reoccurring behavior that doesn't require decision. Mm. It doesn't require you to think about it. It's automatic, mm. right? It's sort of putting your clothes on every day. It's brushing your teeth. Yeah. It's backing out of the driveway. You're not thinking about that. Yeah. It's that that come naturally. You're not forcing yourself to do this. Yeah. Right. Our brains want convenience always. Yeah. It's going to find the sort of shortest distance to its, its destination. And so we think about that in habit creation and formation of what are the ways that we can make this convenient for you? So you can sort of walk into the habit that you're trying to create. If you're a morning person, why are you trying to work out at night? <laughs> right? You're like, I, I never feel like going, you know, I'm so tired. Yeah. I'm like, well, you know, you feel the most energetic and alive in the morning. You're a morning person. Yeah. Let's sort of use that to your advantage. Yeah. Right? Let's work with the things that are true for you and make the habit work for you. Mm. So you're not fighting for the habit to work. Right? It's a different that. sort of orientation. Yeah. And those are the sort of small ways. There's like 30 different strategies that I use with, with people and my clients to build habits. And you can sort of cobble them together sometimes one thing fits for one person not the other so it's really experimental which is really fun it's just like let's try this let's try this right and it always seems to come together right people sort of build a toolkit over time like okay this works for me people know that they are externally motivated some people they really struggle with that internal motivation and that's okay to be accepting of right if you work well with a coach accountability partner then know that about yourself you know when I go to the gym, I need a buddy, right? I need, I need a class. That's okay. Yeah. The more we fight that, the more resistance that we create in our lives, right? So we want to make things easy, convenient, and work for our sort of authentic selves. Nice. And once we know more about ourselves, the habits become a lot easier. I love that. I'm in IT, so, you know, I deal with, like, programs and computers and software, and that just kind of, helps me to think about it is like, you know, kind of like biohacking, you know, like hacking your brain. It's like programming, reprogramming your brain software so that, you know, you can get those habits down. Cause like with a computer, you have to tell it what you want it to do. It's going to do exactly what it was designed to do, but you can, you know, show it different things and program it different ways. So when you first launch the computer or your, your operating system, it can come up with everything you need for the day. Or you can yep. overload it and make it so it doesn't work at all. You know, I think that's a lot about, yeah. that's the same about our brains and our operating systems inside internally too. I love that. That's so real. And the other piece that I always think about and work with my clients around is motivation. Yeah. People like to say, I don't feel motivated. I have this book I'm trying to write. But I don't feel motivated, man. I'm just like not into it. But I know I want it. That's so weird. You know, I have this goal, but I can't seem to find the time or make the time and man, then we start to sort of get hard about or judge ourselves and we're hard on ourselves, right? And so what I like to focus on is some things are just more challenging, right, to do. So for many people, going to the gym is a good example. Some of us, we just don't like going to the gym. 
right? It's like, I'm going to be sweating, right? I got to change clothes. I have, it causes some pain and sort of stress on my system. Like, that's okay to just accept, you know, I don't love that, right? And once you sort of take the pressure off that I need to love it, okay, I'm not going to love it maybe overnight. That's okay. But what does it look like to do things despite not being motivated? Hmm. We get in, we get really in trouble when we say, I have to be motivated first before I do anything. But that's our belief system. That's the prerequisite to any habit or goal that we have. If I don't feel motivated, I won't do it, right? And motivation is pretty arbitrary. It's like, is that an energy? Is that like a desire out of the sky that you want to sort of come over you in the morning, right? <laughs> And sometimes it's just not there yeah. because things happen in life. Yeah. You might have a lot more on your plate. You might not be feeling great, yeah. right? Because other things are going on. So that motivation may not show up. Mm. But it's the psychological flexibility that I like to build with my clients. How can I do things despite how I feel? Oh, that's so right? important to have. Oh my God. Because yeah. there's so many times that you wake up and you're just not feeling it. And. You know, because even with being a good person, it takes hard work because you just, just you could be a jerk and that takes no <laughs> takes no effort yeah. at all. But yeah. actually waking up and, you know, giving people a smile or telling people to have a nice day like that actually takes some motivation and some effort. And you might not feel like it. You might feel crappy that day. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's something that we can prepare for. Right. It's like if I know I'm going to be tired, or I'm going to be potentially cranky after work. We can sort of know that's coming, right? So we don't have to be shocked when it shows up. So if I know that in advance, how can I sort of prepare myself to be with that uncomfortable feeling and still choose to do something in service of my goals, mm. right? Sometimes we get in the habit of determining our behaviors based on our feelings, right? I only do things when I'm feeling excited or enthused about them or ready, right? That's a dangerous belief to carry. Yeah. A lot of people that are really successful around their habits, they do things when they're not feeling like it. That's like, man, that's the difference. So true. Right? So true. I, yeah. I told my um my partner at the gym, I was like, it was you know January the first week. I was like, watch February first week is going to look totally different in here. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Like half these yeah. people going to lose their motivation, and that's sure true. enough, the first two days um this week, I'm like. Is there? Is nobody in there? Yeah, it's <laughs> just the cycle yeah. that continues. Exactly. You know, motivation comes after momentum, mm -hmm. right? So that's sort of the 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 thing that people don't really understand. Yeah. Motivation typically doesn't come first. Yeah. There might be instances where you feel motivated, sort of intrinsically in a moment, and that's nice to have, but it's not something that typically occurs all the time, mm. right? And so, momentum is actually what creates motivation. It's the doing. It's the behavior. Yeah. Right. It's the leaning in to that objective that you're trying to achieve. Once I do it, I start to experience the benefits and man, then the motivation shows up. Absolutely. Right. So it's not the one before the other. It's not the motivation first. It's the momentum. So I tell my clients, you're not going to feel like you're, you're going to want to do this thing, but let's sort of put that out there. Okay. <laughs> let's prepare for that. You're going to feel tired, uncomfortable, annoyed. You're going to find loopholes as well, mm -hmm. right? So I love the loophole sort of work that I do. Gretchen uh, Rubin is a, an author that I love, and she has a whole book of, of different loopholes that people come up with. One of them is like the, the loophole around the fallacy of choice. Mm. If I do this, then I can't do this, right? If I go to the gym, then I, my hair won't be 
well kept. Is that true? All right. I, I gotta challenge that, right? If I go to the gym, then I won't have time to go do my laundry. Hmm. Let's look at your schedule. Right? <laughs> sort of this false choice, one or the other, yeah. sort of black and white way of thinking, right? Yeah. Or there's like the morality loophole. I th- I've been good so far, so I'm gonna take this day off. Yeah. Right. So you give yourself a, a thumbs up, and I've been good, so therefore I, I don't need to maintain this habit today, right? Yeah. Hmm. So there's so many that sort of show up and sort of rationalize our way out of things. But once we can really identify, oh, that's the loophole I use all the time. Hmm. Okay. Hmm. Let me close that loophole yeah. for myself, right? <laughs> for that self-control and discipline. Yeah, yeah. And Just knowing our mind will do funny things. Exactly. <laughs> and speaking of motivation, you have these mantras that I love, like um, your your sessions with Alex on Instagram. Like, where does those yeah. words from wisdom come? Do they come from your coaching sessions or just life experience? Or yeah, they're just sort of moments in session where a client might have a really insightful moment or aha moment, and I like to capture those and I like to commission, but. Those things that I feel like can apply to multiple people, yeah. I like to share them more publicly. So if you can't necessarily um, have a, find a coach or if coaching with me is not a good fit just yet, then you can still be inspired and sort of learn something, this little tidbit that I'll share with you publicly. Oh, yeah. That's so dope. I really like that. Just those little small nuggets that you can give gems to people and they can absorb it and kind of express their, well, kind of interpret it in their own way and take it throughout yeah. their day and be able to express it in their lives. So I love that. Oh, thank you. How do you think coaching changed during the pandemic? Mm. You know, I think that a lot of people sort of did a lot of introspection, right? I think for a lot of people, it was a question of, man, what's important to me right now mm-hmm. in my life? Am I spending my time, my energy on the things that I value truly? Are the relationships in my life reflective of the relationships that I want to have long term, mm-hmm. right? Because you're sort of cooped up with someone maybe, or you realize, man, I'm exerting all this effort every day doing this thing where I'm walking back home or going back home and I'm feeling depleted, man. And there's so much else going on in the world and you can feel like these big life questions start to show up, right? A lot of people made changes in their jobs and their relationships and where they live, right? Yeah. They found, found value and man, maybe I don't want to live here anymore. Maybe I want to live closer to my parents or other friends or in a different kind of community that's more reflective of what matters to me. Yeah. Right. It's sort of almost realizing the mortality, unfortunately. Yeah. Right. And that's a good thing sometimes. Sometimes people bitter get sort of uncomfortable or scared when they think about mortality, but I think it can be really powerful, right? When we think about, man, the only thing that's for sure is that these things end our lives. Yeah. Right. We're not here forever, right? And so when there's a pandemic, that sort of anxiety and that sort of question comes up more often, like, wow, maybe I do get sick. And if I get sick today, I really look back, look back in my life with pleasure, hmm. right? Man, do I really feel like I've been effective in my life in a way that's authentic to, to me? Yeah. I look back and feel like my life was self-realized. Yeah. Did I really realize the things that were important to me? It's a tough question. And so... Yeah, these are big questions that a lot of people were asking themselves and of themselves, right? And so these things came in coaching sessions, right? A lot of folks sort of started to think about, man, my mental health, I haven't really addressed the things that I know I'm struggling with. Mm-hmm. And I can't sort of overlook that anymore. 
right? So a lot of people were sort of living on this sort of moderate anxiety. And with the, the pandemic, it was sort of revved up and it got really out of hand in some cases, really sort of scary for folks, you know, I'm having this anxiety and I'm feeling panic almost every day, or I'm noticing these behaviors that are really harmful to me and my family. I need help, you know? So mental health became more important for people. Absolutely. And, and I'm glad about that. I think it's a, it's a good thing, right? And it's becoming less stigmatized and more something people are willing to talk about more publicly and normalize. Absolutely. Because we're all in this, right? It's not yeah. something that's unique and it's not something that makes you weak. Mm-hmm. This, is, this has been a real ordeal for many of us. Yeah. And so I think mental health has, it's a little over saturated unfortunately a lot of people are seeking support and there's not a lot of, not, not enough therapists not a, enough coaches to go around yeah right even in my own practice i have a waiting list right it's like <laughs> trying to make space yeah and it's a good thing for business but it's really sad to be able to turn people away i don't want to be able to i don't want to be able to do that or want to do that right? yeah uh, my goal is to support people where when they need support yeah and so that's the case for many therapists there's a long waiting list yeah and so that's sort of the, the new sort of um, challenge in, in mental health in the industry is how do we become more accessible, right? And how do we meet people where they are? And how do we become more affordable and all these things? How do we use technology, right, to help support people? And there's a lot of cool things that are happening. And so I'm looking forward to sort of being a part of that movement. So it's really important, especially with so much change that's happening in our lives. People need support and people don't need to feel isolated and alone in that. Yeah. So there's help out there. And so I, I want to be a part of the sort of solution to offer that help. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I try to share my my story as much as possible about my mental health journey and, you know, me overcoming depression, anxiety, and, you know, just um, my journey with therapy and how it helped me um, on an individual basis. So I try to share that as much as possible um, for anybody, especially for Black men who you know, may have not even thought about therapy. Um, I always mm-hmm. encourage my brothers and people that ask me, you know, uh, behind the scenes, you know, like, what what do you think of therapy? How has it helped you? Try to be as transparent as possible for that journey. I love that. What do, what are some of the responses that you get? Do you feel like people are sort of open minded? What do you notice in the black community, especially with men? Um, honestly, it's a lot of hesitation. You know, brothers um, are really hesitant about you know opening up about their past. You know, there's been issues with with some brothers you know sexual abuse in their past there's been um things that you know come up in their family that they don't feel comfortable just speaking about and they just hold it in and that that includes um in zoos anger resentment and it comes out in different ways it comes out in their relationships and things and they don't have anybody to go to and a lot of brothers don't have insurance a lot of brothers don't know how to go about actually getting a therapist they don't even go to the doctor unfortunately to get yearly checkups. So it's not, it hasn't been spoken. Like the generation before us didn't really speak about mental health. You know, it was go get a bag of weed, go get some drink. You know, that's how we, you know, have therapy. Go to the barbershop and talk it out. And, you know, now we have more accessible um, forms of technology and, you know, just being able to talk to people who are more culturally competent. Um, before it was just, you know, an older white lady that's sitting on a couch and she don't know nothing about you or your struggles or anything, but, you know, that's what you got. That's all you have. But now I have a black therapist. I have many friends who have, you know, black male or female therapists. Um, and we can talk to them about issues within our culture, you know, whether that's race or just 
you know, feeling like we don't belong, you know, whether that's being mm-hmm. at a certain corporation, a job, or, you know, being in the suburb that's, you know, predominantly white. So those are things that, you know, we can have now, but a lot of black people don't know that there are people that understand them, that's willing to help them now. That's so important. I'm so glad that you have used your platform to encourage other men and, and women of color in all persuasions to really seek support when they need it. I think it's, it's really good to normalize that. And I appreciate that you said that, you know, just feeling safe in therapy is important, Absolutely. right? Because there's, there's even judgment in yeah. therapy. And you have people that don't understand your background. You don't have to have the same background per se, but it does create some level of comfort, yeah. right? And being able to see yourself in that person and not having to really explain your experience, right? Um, and to feel validated, yeah. right? Absolutely. It's, it's really critical because there's so much that already comes up in therapy and mental health coaching that's uncomfortable and sort of stressing on the system. And so that vulnerability could be sort of fostered and cultivated. You want that from the beginning, you want that mm-hmm. trust, right? And so if it can come through knowing that that person understands your experience as a person of color, that'll really go a long way in your ability to really dive deep. Absolutely, I appreciate that. I have one last question before we land. Um, how does someone become yeah. a professional coach? Yeah, great question. So the challenging part of um, the coaching industry is that it's not necessarily regulated at this point. I- I'm hoping that it becomes regulated very soon. Um, there is a regulatory regulatory body called the International Federation of Coaching, the ICF. Um, they're a, a sort of worldwide organization. They are like sort of the gold standard of coaching. And so if you're not certified through them, then you are not a professional coach. Okay. So that is the entity that you want to work through. Um, and they have certified other organizations so that if you complete their program and then you go to the ICF and complete their licensing test, then you would become a professional coach. But the process is about almost a year and a half at least. So you take a number of classes, you're, you're sort of training for a number of hours, then you have a mentor coach. So that means that coach is observing you, you're recording sessions, you're sending those sessions to that mentor coach, they're giving you feedback and you're incorporating it, right? So you're sort of honing your skills and they're looking for certain markers of a really professional coach. So active listening, the presence that you sort of exude in a coaching session, your ability to sort of ask powerful questions. These are all things that a mentor coach will be looking for when they're doing their observations mm-hmm. of you. And so at a certain point, when they feel like you are really meeting that threshold of a professional coach, then they will approve you and then you can actually pursue your certification. Thank you for that information. And for all my listeners and yeah. you know viewers out there that's wanting to get a session or wanting to follow you on social media, how can they get connected with you? Yeah, so um, my website is Alex Taylor Coaching. That's A-L-E-X-X, taylorcoaching.com. And so you can um, connect with me via my website. You can also email me at coachingwithalex2xs at gmail.com and would look forward to connecting with you and having a consultation. That's a free consultation to sort of talk about your goals and if it's a good fit and give you an opportunity to ask me any questions and start our work together. Thank you for sharing that. And before we go, I always like to give my guests their flowers before they leave. Um, Alex, I just want to thank you for coming through. Thank you for coaching people. Thank you for um, wanting to help people to grow and just wanting to hone success within them, seeing people's potential and going after your why. I appreciate the work you do. And I'm looking forward to talking to you more and just learning more about coaching in general. I hope that you would have time to come on the podcast again because I really enjoyed our conversation. 
Oh yeah, this is great. I'm so proud of you. You're doing your thing. And I appreciate <laughs> the opportunity to share my experience as well. Most definitely. I appreciate that. Well, this is the B Podcast. It was Alex Taylor. Thank you everybody for listening. We'll be back next week.